in how the life of a Christian is changed and produces things because of what's coming towards us. If that's unclear, you'll see what I mean. So, uh, yeah. Can, can you, wanna, one of you guys, change the slide? Yeah, they're having their own conversation. Anyway, let me read you the text. If you have a Bible, and I, we really hope if you do, we really hope you do, uh, go to Colossians chapter 1. The, um, the text is Colossians 1, 3 to 8. Can you change the slide, please? It's not working. It's off, and now it's on. There you go. Right, now we have slides. So, I titled the, the sermon because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, but that's just part of a verse, uh, as you will see, verse uh, three. So, let's read the text first. This is Paul writing to the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing. So among yourselves, from the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth, as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, the question that I want us to ask and hopefully answer from our text tonight is, actually, let me start a different way. In Colossians 1.27, I think, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's not, a, as I was praying before, that's not a static glory. That's not a static hope. It produces something, otherwise it's not there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the question I want us to look at tonight is, what is the fruit of that hope? What does that do? If you're a Christian and you have that hope, what does it do? Are you different from the one neighbor that is not a Christian or are you exactly the same? What does the hope of heaven or the hope of the glory of Christ produce in you? We had a sermon one time, we had a series of sermons one time uh, a, few we, a few years ago. Something, it was something like, how do I live my life in the perspective of the fact that Christ is coming back? 
You cannot live the same way if you believe and expect that Jesus is returning. Right? Right? Now, some people may, might, might answer this question, right? What does the Christian hope produce in a person? They might say, you know, you know, theology, Christians are so heavenly minded that you completely forget about present, the present. You become so caught up in the future, you're useless in the present. That is a problem, and hopefully we're not that. In other words, for some, Christian theology is just escapism. There's too much around. I need to go somewhere or do something because I'm, I'm not going to be able to take it. I need to escape. And by doing that, I've just become useless to people. As a Christian, we're the opposite of uselessness. The world is filled with people who need Christians to love them. Do you agree with me? The world is filled with people who need Christians, real Christians, to live in the light of the gospel and love them. And so the question I want us to ask from the text and answer from the text is, is it true that when Christian, Christians set their hearts on the future prospect of being in the presence of God, and when they see the risen Lord and being freed from sin and sickness and living in joy for all eternity, when we set our minds on those things, do we become so heavenly minded that we are not of any use on this earth? Is that true? Now, If you look around you, and especially in you, in me, if I look in me and around me, I notice very fast that the problem with the church in the world is not that people are too heavenly minded. The problem in the church is not that people read this book way too much and pray way too much and think and meditate on heaven way too much. That's not the problem in the church and that's not the problem in the world. The problem in the world is that Christians are not too heavenly minded but are worldly minded. We spend 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour in the Bible, maybe praying, and then we do anything else from the world's perspective. So it's not heavenly mindedness that stops us from love. It is worldly mindedness that stops us from love. Where is the person, where is the person who has so tasted that the Lord is good that he do, does anything in his power that through any action, decision, he wants and pursues showing Jesus to his neighbor, to his kids, to his whomever your neighbor is? Who is, who is that person? Where is that person? 
that person is probably not a slave, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to be enslaved by anything. So that person is not enslaved to the internet, to watching TV, to eating, sleeping, drinking, etc. And that person is asking one question. What can I do to show Christ better today? What is it that I have to do based on my hope of glory or my hope in heaven that I will show Christ to people? What is it that I'm going to do? And that answer is works of love. Like what Paul was reading at the beginning. They will know you by your love. That's it. Not by how smart we are, not by how we are dressed, not by how many we are, not how by few we are, not where we meet, not what we eat, none of those things. None of them. But by the way we love. So that was that was the introduction. So let's go to today's text. You saw today's text, so what do you expect? <laughs> uh, yeah. No. There is. I want, us to, I want to start by making four observations about what love is from our text, and I'll point it out. And then we'll look at some applications, and then we'll be done. So number one. So four, four observations about love from the text. Love is a public, public fruit. It says in verse four, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints. This church in Colossae was famous. They heard about it was famous for its faith and its love. If it were not public, they would not have heard about it, right? They so loved each other, because that's mainly what he's talking about. They so loved each other and then others that their love went public. Paul is in Rome. They're far away from Rome. And he heard about it. They fulfilled the words of the Lord. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16 That's what Paul is doing here. He's giving glory to God for why or for how the love of God works in their lives. So as I was saying before, I mean, Joseph and Vivi were sharing about, or not sharing about, but trying to give us an impulse to either come along people and tell them when they're doing something that is not worthy of the gospel, or when you have a difficult conversation, don't avoid it, right? 
Um, when we're real Christians, if, you, if I'm a real Christian, if I truly give my life to Christ, my love for the person next to me is not a secret affair. It's not see. I don't know how to put this to make it really clear for you. If you love your husband or your wife, it's not secret, right? It cannot be secret. That's exactly how it works with Christ and others. Love, did Christ prove and show and manifest his love towards us in a secret way? He was on a cross on the top of a mountain and the whole city was shouting, crucify him. It was not private. So, point number one, love is a public fruit. Number two, love is a fruit of hope. Hence the title, because of the love. Hope. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints. Why did we hear about it and why do you have it? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The connection between verses 4 and 5 shows us why they love. Right? Do you see that? Because of, the load, the, because of the hope that they have in heaven, they love those people. They trust the Lord. Their faith and their love, it's based on their hope. Now, the word hope here is not a feeling, but it's the content of their hope, the thing that they hope for, the joys that are laid up in heaven. It's not a feeling, oh, I hope it's going to be there. No, this is a sure hope. But you might ask, or we might ask, how does a distant hope, something that is in the future, create a passion and a love or a work in me now? Have you ever wondered that, thought about that? How does the return of Christ, who's gonna, which is going to be who knows when, only the Lord knows, how does that affect me now? How does that work? Somebody said it like this. The link between the objective hope laid up in heaven and the active love for the saints on earth now is the subjective experience of hope welling up in our hearts. The link between the objective hope laid up in heaven and the active love for the saints on, this, on the earth now is the subjective experience of hope welling up in our hearts. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the love of Christ I stand. But that standing cannot be static. 
You're not a Christian if you're static. You're not a Christian if your love for people is secret. You're not a Christian if you're constantly living a life where your love for Christ is secret. If nobody knows you're a Christian, you're not a Christian. I hope you agree. That's not me, it's the Bible. That's what it teaches. Number three. Love is not only a fruit of hope, love is a fruit of the gospel. Of this, what we talked about before, you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing so among yourselves from the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ, wherever it is preached, bears fruit. The, Lord, the word of the Lord does not return to the Lord empty. So when Paul hears of the faith and love of this church, he doesn't just assume or he doesn't just um, see that as an evidence of it being a fruit of hope, but he sees it as a fruit of the gospel. Many people have a lot of hopes and it makes them do all kinds of good stuff now. But when we talk about the f- love being the fruit of the gospel, that's totally different. My Lord will return. And in the light of that, in the light of the fact that he is preparing for me a home in heaven for eternity, I am behaving like he did. And Jesus only behaved in love and sacrifice. Maybe that love didn't sound loving at the moment for some people, but it was. You know, I, there's this song that I love, and the story of the song is, he let those who wanted to kill him, kill him so that he could forgive them. Now, um, uh, I listened to a sermon this morning and as, as I was walking Amos to sleep and uh, maybe you know him, Jerry Bridges. Um, he said that he was part of a conference at one point in his life and um, at the conference there were allowed about 4,000 people and he took a survey at the conference and they only asked one question. What is the gospel? And you would be surprised that there were almost 4,000 answers, different answers. That's absolutely insane. We have one book. And only one gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to leave it with you. But think about it. What is the gospel? Because depending on what you give as an answer to that, that's how you will love. If, if the gospel you believe in is a gospel where you work your way to God, you will love in a certain way. 
if the gospel you believe in is the gospel where you are literally dead in your sins, blind to the glory of God, and he comes and gives you light so you can see and gives you life so you can live it out, then you will love in a certain way. I can even go as far as this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so precious, so powerful, and such good news that if you do not share it, you don't love people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful, so good, such good news that if you don't share it with people, you don't love people. If you think it's an overstatement, think about it. Now that you know what the gospel is, right, if you're a believer, wouldn't you consider the one who led you to Christ unloving if he didn't share it with you? Think about it. Number four, love is a fruit of the Spirit. Verse 7, um, the gospel, as you learned it from Apophras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to you, to us, your love in the Spirit. The love of the Colossians, um, which Paul and the world heard of, is not natural to the human heart. You cannot, without being born again, without having the Holy Spirit in you, love people as Christ loved them. You cannot. Every one of us here could stand up and say that is true because I didn't do it before I became a believer. Right? So the love of the Colossians it's not a love that is natural to the human heart. It happens in the spirit, right? In Galatians 5:22, the fruit of love, the fruit of the spirit, what are the fruit of the spirit? Right? And if it were a natural gift, Paul wouldn't thank God he would thank the Colossians. He would say, thank you, Colossians, for loving people as you, I don't know, thought best. No, he thanks God for the fact that this church loves people that way. If it were an invention of the Colossians, he would thank the Colossians. Now, application. What can we draw out from that? We're so used to talking about love and hearing songs about love and seeing movies about love. Everything in culture is so twisted when it comes to love that we don't know how to even, on the one hand, talk about it or behave with regards to it. So if our goal is to bear the public fruit of love, if we want to live in a way that will visibly honor God, I believe in this text we can see three things we can do. Number one, 
believe and live by the gospel. Believe the gospel, listen to the word of God, read the word of God, listen to the gospel, read the, the gospel, and live by the gospel. What else is there? What, what's the call? If, if your heart is an engine, what's the call being thrown into that engine that makes your engine work? What drives you? Let me, let me give you an illustration. So um, imagine your life is a, is, a, is a glass of water. And then you pour lemon juice inside, whatever the amount. It will taste of lemon, right? That's just as simple with the gospel. If my life is that glass and the gospel is that lemon juice, everything I do will taste like lemon. I will show people whether I want it or not. That's another thing. I'm not even going to go that road down, down that road. Whether I want it or not, the fruit of the gospel will come out of me. Right? I'm not even, I don't even have to make an effort to do that. They will see it. So, believe and live by the gospel. When I gave Paul the slides, the, that second point was still live by the Spirit. In the meantime, I changed it just a bit. I wrote down, desire more of the Spirit of Christ and live by the Spirit. Um, It is the spirit that makes the difference between whether the gospel will create hope in you or whether it leaves you cold. I don't have the power to change your heart. I don't have the power to change your mind. It is the Holy Spirit that does that. If you go to the Bible study, Joseph or I or whoever will not have the power to change your mind. Christian does not have the power to change your mind. Nobody has the power to change your mind with regards to Christ. Only Christ and His Spirit. Through the Word. Paul described this to the um, Thessalonians. He said, Our gospel came to you not only in word, right? It's not just a word on a page. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. What's the result? You can see if you read Thessalonians. Rejoicing in affliction and being imitators of Christ. So, how do we practically get more of the Spirit? How do we practically live more in the Spirit? Well, we start by desiring more of the Spirit. Ask more of the Spirit. 
It is biblical to ask more of the outpouring of this Holy Spirit upon you. It is biblical. Paul does it many times. And then pray. Let me read to you a prayer that is similar to what we're talking about. I pray that God may enlighten the eyes of your hearts. I wonder if you know where this is coming from. That God, that God may enlighten the eyes of your hearts to know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 1.18. That's what he's asking. He's asking for the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of whom? In the Ephesian church, the people were not not Christians. They were Christians. And he's asking for more of the Spirit on these people. Ask God to give you more of his spirit so you are able to live more like Jesus and love people more. And finally, number three, set your minds on the things that are above. This comes later in the book of Colossians, but I thought that it's a good rendition of what we're talking about. This is Colossians 3, 1 to 2. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, do you see this? Like, if, if something happened to you, you need to show it but by, by, by what you're doing or by how you're living, right? If you have been raised, something happens. So, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. You know, if you're one of those who says, well, you know, I've been saved by grace, the Holy Spirit is in me, I don't have to do anything. Well, let Paul contradict you. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. In other words, as you read the gospel, as you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, push, push your affections, push your mind, not to rely on the things of the earth, but to rely on the things of heaven. Don't love the world, love Christ and heaven. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, work out your own salvation. <laughs> for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work, because God is at work in you. Do, seek, set your mind, because God is at work in you. Now, before I close, I just have a list of, I don't know, maybe 10 things I just want to read out. Before we're done, koinonia, right? What's our identity? Who are we? Are we just a church in the city? Maybe. But we have an identity. We're not called koinonia just because there was no other name in this world to name a fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. But that's not private. Nowhere in that verse does it say, sit in a small room, pray and be afraid, let others live their lives outside the way they like, just do your own thing. No. No. We have a hope, we have a gospel, and we have a spirit which all three together pushes, pushes us out. It's not secret. It cannot be secret if you're a Christian. It cannot be secret. What are the results or the fruit of love? That's what we talked about. If, we have, if you have that love in your life, what does it do? I'm just going to read it out. I don't even have slides for that. Right. What are the fruits of love? That's it. So please listen. And this, I, I'm hoping, and I, I, I know actually, this is something you, all of you, desire for yourselves, maybe pray for yourselves, and you desire for others, maybe in this community or in your family or somewhere else. So I don't think I'm saying something new. So what are the fruits or the results of love in my life? I'm going to make it, I, I wrote it we, I'm going to say it I, because, because the Lord knows. I will be more patient and more kind. I will be less jealous, less boastful, less arrogant, and less rude. I will not just seek my own advancement, but I will work to do to others what I would have them do to me. I will not be irritable. Or, let me be realistic, I will not be so irritable. Because I am. I won't be so prone or open to keep an account of wrongs or return evil for evil. I will be inclined to bear all things and endure all things for the sake of my neighbor. Whether that neighbor is Vivi, the children, you, my mom, my brother, or a stranger on the street. Three more. I will not speak about my neighbor, or rather, I will not speak about my neighbor's faults without first going to the neighbor, right? What Joseph was saying. In other words, I will not gossip. Gossip is the exact opposite of love. And we do it. I will return good for evil. (laughs) 
it's almost embarrassing how much we fail at that. I will work at creating ways to be a blessing to the lost. And finally, more and more of my whole life will take on an overflowing and other-directed spirit. I won't think of myself so much. Not everything revolves around me, but everything revolves around Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are weak. Lord, we're sinful, we're weak, we're fallen, many times stupid. And even though you opened our eyes to see the glory of Christ, we're blind so many times, or at least act like it. So Lord, I pray, I pray that we would live in the light of the hope of heaven. I pray that we will live according to your gospel. I, I pray that we would live in the power of your spirit. I pray that we would love more, both inside the church and outside the church. And I think that would, will not be possible, Lord, if we do not love you first. So Lord, help us love you more. Help us, if we're not loving you now, help us fall in love with you again, all over again, so that we could love others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up for the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.